Hallelujah. 
worship team, and welcome to New Promise Church. We are so excited that you are visiting with us, either in person or online. As you walked in this morning, you should have received our new NP Daycare brochure and our handout. You can pick this up on your way out if you did not get it. This, we are relaunching our new ministry here. We are very excited for NP Daycare to start up. So if you want to pick one up and give it to your friends, your families, your coworkers, anyone that could need it, this is a wonderful ministry. It is safe and secure, and we are so excited for this. Now, if you please turn to Romans chapter 8, as my dad, Pastor Rory, comes up and continues his series on Stretched. Please welcome Pastor Rory. <laughs> thank you, sweetie. Good morning. That was really, thank you, honey. She was the only one. I only heard one person clapping this morning. I'm not sure that's a good thing. Um, but it was my wife. But anyway, good morning. That's pretty good. Let's try it again. Good morning. morning. Hallelujah. It is so great to be with you all here in person at New Promise Church and with you here online around Ohio, across the United States, up into Canada even, uh, celebrating Jesus Christ with us this morning and resting from the ordinary grind of life and gathering around the extraordinariness of God. Um, Victoria, my, wife, uh, my daughter asked you to turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning, right? You did do that? Yeah, I wasn't totally paying attention. Okay, Romans chapter 8, good stuff. All righty. Let's open in prayer as we go to God's word this morning. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you so much for your word because it's always a lamp to our feet. It's always a light to our path. And, and Father, it, you, your word is the breath of your spirit that blows away the clouds of confusion and brings clarity to our lives. And that's what we need in our lives this morning, Father. We need your, the breath of your spirit to be like the sunshine, to just blow the clouds away and to just bring the radiate, saturate, and the permeateness of your light, of your word, into our lives that illuminates our lives, that gives us guidance and direction, Lord Jesus. And it, it gives us hope and life for a better and brighter tomorrow, Father. And so, Lord, I just ask you that you would simply please just allow me to be your garden hose through which your Holy Spirit and your word flows this morning. Anoint my lips to preach and anoint our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive everything that you have for us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Very good. Um, last week we started a series called Stretched. And it's kind of like that rubber band that keeps getting stretched out and then it recoils and it stretches out and it recoils and it stretches out again and it recoils. And every time it stretches out some more, it loses just a little bit of its elasticity until there's going to be a final time where you stretch out that rubber band as far as you can and one of two things is going to happen. One, it's either going to break or it's going to just stay stretched out and kind of be limp and weak and everything. It's not going to be good for holding things together and binding around books or papers or anything. Why? Because it's been so stretched out that it's been weakened by the stretching and the recoiling and the stretching and the recoiling. And so what we've been talking about last week and we're going to for a couple more weeks is we're going to talk about how when life treats us like a rubber band, when life stretches us out and we recoil to be stretched out again to recoil to be stretched out again, when life stretches us out, when it stretches out our fears and our frustrations, 
We need to let God stretch our faith because it's our faith and trust in him that keeps us solid, steady, sturdy, and strong, and it helps us to overcome our fears and doubts that things won't work out and overcome the things that frustrate us in life. And, and before the first service this morning, uh, back in prayer time, uh, somebody was praying that faith says no fear here. And, and, and I, they didn't know what I was going to preach on this morning, but I thought, man, that is so appropriate. I, I wrote it down. Faith says no fear here. In other words, you're either going to be fearful and frustrated or you're going to be faithful. You're never going to be both at the same time. One is always going to be just a little bit more than the other. It might be a great difference or a slight difference, but you're either going to be more faithful or more fearful. You're either going to be more faithful or a little more frustrated in life. And the decision is entirely up to us how we want to live our lives. Do we want to live our lives all stretched out by life, by fears and doubts and frustrations that things won't work out, or do we want to live our lives solid, steady, sturdy, and strong by our faith and trust in God? If we decide we want to live by our faith and trust in God, in spite of anything else going on around us, then we have to resolve there is no fear here. There might be frustrations, but there is no fear in faith. There's no fear here. I, I love that. Um, last week, we started by looking at when fear stretch, stretches us out, we need to let God stretch out our faith. We looked at Proverbs 29 to 2 Timothy chapter 1, where it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's how we overcome fear. We overcome fear through our faith and trust in God who's given us power, love, and a sound mind. Faith and trust in God, and that means no fear here. That's how our faith overcomes our fears, is by faith and trust in God. No fear here. He hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but he's given me love. He's given me power, and he's given me a sound mind. Now, this week what I want to do is I want to look at frustrations. Those things that annoy us, that are outside of our control, that don't go the way we want them to go, don't go the way we planned them to go, didn't go the way we expected them to go, but they went that way anyway, and they're just so annoying to us now. It's like they derail and distract our daily lives, and we're just so frustrated with those things. How do we overcome those frustrations, and how is it that we allow God to stretch our faith when life tends to stretch out our frustrations. You know, with everything going on in the world and in our country right now, with all of the politics and the politicking uh, going on, with all of the censoring of free speech and the threats and the fear of that uh, happening even on a greater scale, uh, that we won't have freedom of speech to say what we want to say and everything else, and people saying we need to censor free speech because we need to balance, you know, the freedoms of speech, but we don't want to promote overthrowing the government or the country or the Constitution or anything. That stuff is always decided and balanced by political biases and preferences and stuff. So you got people on both sides of the aisle trying to figure out, well, what's the route to go? Free speech or censure or how much or things like that. You and I aren't in Washington right now. We're not a part of that conversation. We're seeing it happen on television and on the news and everything. And frankly, it probably scares a lot of people, and I bet you it frustrates everyone. I bet everybody is frustrated by that. I bet you everybody's also frustrated how the pandemic has stretched on into the new year. 
I mean, I remember back in, in 2020, in March, April, May, we thought we were going to be done in, in four or five months, right, and get back to normal. We're not back to normal yet. This pandemic has stretched into 2021. We're still wearing masks. We're still doing social distancing. We're still waiting for the vaccine to come out. Now the vaccine, there's a fear to that and a frustration to that because it's not getting out fast enough. And there's potential side effects that people are worried about with that vaccine because it was rolled out so quickly. And we understand why it was rolled out so quickly, but it was rolled out so quickly, we're unsure of it. And it's that uncertainty that causes even more frustration. And that is on top of anything else that you might be dealing with in your life right now, at home, at work, in school, in, in this church, in the church you go to. Maybe you, you can't go to church yet, and that frustrates you, that you can't get together yet as God's people, and, and you're just really frustrated about that. Maybe it's something in the community. Maybe it's something with a polarization of opinions about the pandemic and the politics and everything else. Maybe it's something that's happening in this country that's just got you frustrated with the way life is right now. Well, in order so we don't pop like a pop can, we got to do a few things as we talk about dealing with our frustrations with faith. Y'all know what a pop can is? You saw what a soda pop can is? Of course you do, right? What happens if you shake the can up and then you open it, right? It, it kind of pops, it explodes, it fizzes all over the place, right? What happens if you take that same can and you puncture it under pressure? It pops, it explodes, right? What happens if you take that same can, you don't open it, you don't puncture it, but you put it in fire, and, and the pressure outside that can becomes greater than the pressure inside that can. What happens to that can is it pops, it explodes, right? What have you done? In all three of those scenarios, you have frustrated the contents and the chemical reaction of that soda pop in that can. Well, many people can be like that pop can when it comes to frustrations. Things frustrate us internally, and we have the great propensity to pop like a soda pop can to explode on people, to have a nutty on people, either if they're the ones that frustrate us, or we have a nutty on people who didn't do anything to frustrate us, but we're still frustrated, and they're in close proximity to us when we pop like a pop can, and we end up having a frustration nutty all over them. Well, well that's, no, that's no way to live, right? So because of all of the, the problems with pain that we deal with, the fears and the frustrations, because of the pressurization, so to speak, of, of people's lives and the politics and the pandemic and issues and everything like that, there's a couple things we've got to do as Christians, there's a couple things we can do as Christians to help deal with our frustrations so we don't pop like a pop can all over somebody. And, and, and one of the things we can do is something that, that I've done this week and I encourage you to do. Um, now, I believe we should all be Christians and American citizens who are well-informed of what's going on in our country and in the world, absolutely. But I also think that you can have an oversaturation of something, and that when something so frustrates you so much that you just got to turn it off for a while, and you got to turn on God. And so one of the things that I'm thinking we should do as Christians and American citizens is maybe just turn off TV for a while. 
May I do that from time to time. I, I'm a news junkie. I love news. I love talk radio, and I love sports and all that stuff, right? I'm more into that than I am music anymore, really. But there's just time to time, and I'm so up to here with everything that's going on in our country right now, that, that just for a while, for my own mental health and well-being, I just need to take a break from it for a couple of days and get off social media instead of always being on Facebook and Twitter and seeing who's saying what next and everything else, right? So I think as Christians, one thing that we can do and that we should do when we're talking about dealing with our frustrations is from time to time, we need to tune out the world, turn off the TV, get off social media for a while, and turn on God in our lives. Turn on God through His Word and through His Spirit. Because in the world we live in today, where we're really not sure who to trust right now, we're not sure who's telling the truth about what. Right now there's so much information and disinformation out there, it is hard to disseminate truth from lie, fact from fiction, truth from error, that type of a thing. And I've always found in my life, when I don't know who to trust, I can always go back to the one person that I can always trust, and that's God. And so from time to time, I tune out the world, I turn off social media, and I turn back on to God, and I get back into God's Word, which is consistently the same yesterday, today, and for forever. And it's incredibly helpful in helping me deal with my times of frustration so I don't pop like a pop can, right? So let's start off this morning by looking at just a simple, layman's, sterile, generic definition of what frustration is. Frustration is a common emotional response to opposition related to anger, annoyance, and disappointment that arises from perceived resistance to the fulfillment of an individual will, preferences, and goals. In other words, it's when we're not getting our way that we get frustrated and is likely to increase as the perception of the resistance and the failure to reach one's desired goals also increases. So isn't that a nice, sterile, sublime definition of what it is to be frustrated and what frustration is, right? So it's a common human emotion. Everybody deals with frustration from time to time. But I don't just think it's a human emotion. I think it actually has a spiritual origin as well. And that's based on Romans chapter 8, verse 20, that says creation itself was subjected to frustration. Not by its own will, but by the one who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. What does that mean? Well, to understand what that means, you really have to look at a little bit bigger context than just Romans 8.20. And you got to go back to chapter 7, back to chapter 6, back to chapter 5. You could probably even take this context back to chapter 3, but we're just going to go back to chapter 5 where in chapter 5, it tells us who and what subjected us to the frustrations that we deal with in life. You see, in chapter 5 of Romans, it says that humanity was subjected to frustrations of sin, of death, of disease, and of decay. By whom? By Adam. Who did what? Let sin into humanity. And therefore, sin inhibits us from becoming everything we want to be and everything God created us to be, it hinders us, and it's that hindrance from not being that which we innately feel we should be, and we just can't seem to get there, and we go, what's in the way? It's sin. That's what frustrates us. That's what frustrates, frankly, all of humanity. 
And it's the people who are enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God and by the Word of God who understands this. And the people who are not enlightened by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, they don't understand this, and their frustration is exponentially higher. But I find the more that I learn and the more that I know, the more my frustration comes down because I get a better, perspe better perspective of a bigger picture. And so in Romans chapter 5, it says, say, Adam allowed uh, sin into humanity, which caused us our ability to be and become everything that we want to be and that God wants us to be, and that leaves us frustrated. But life, hope, and freedom from the frustrations of sin come through Jesus Christ, who is on our side and who fully understands what we go through in life. He, he fully understands this because even though Jesus is God, he came and he lived as man. He lived as a human for three and a half years on earth. I love it that our God, <coughs> excuse me, is not just a God who's aloof and afar off and watching us from a distance. Like that Bette Midler song says, right? She's totally wrong in her theology. Beautiful song, totally bad theology. I like it that our God is in this with us. And he's in us with us so much that he incarnated into our human nature. And even though he was not sinful at all, there's no sin in him at all, he became sin for us. He took on a, a fallen, frustrated human nature, just like you and me. He totally gets what we're going through in life. And he's the solution to our frustrations, both here on earth every day and in, in eternity in heaven, of course. And now that's where you jump back forward to Romans chapter 8. How does that freedom from frustration that Jesus gives us, how does that get into our lives? In Romans chapter 8, it says, the Holy Spirit who is within us sets us free to live not according to the frustrations of the flesh, but according to the freedom of the Spirit as children of God and co-heirs with Christ who totally gets where we're coming from when we're having fears and doubts that things won't work out and frustrations of things that annoy us in life. Because Jesus had his moment of frustration on earth. In, in Luke chapter 9, the day after the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember that day on Luke chapter 9, it was Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They were up on a mountain and Jesus transfigured and they were hanging out with Moses and Elijah and Peter wanted to make three tents for him and everything. And Jesus said, I appreciate where your heart's at, but you don't need to. And they hung out for a while and everything and they knew it was Elijah, Moses, and Jesus and in his glorified deity. They saw it all. They were there. They'd been there, done that. It was so cool. And then in Luke chapter 9 around verse 2, uh, 40, it says they were coming down from the mountain the next day after that. They had a great church service on the Mount of Transfiguration. The very next day, they're coming down on a Monday, and this father comes up with a demon-possessed boy. He comes to the disciples, and he wants his son delivered from this demon. Totally understandable. But the disciples couldn't do it. And so Jesus, in his frustration, he says... You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I stay with you and put up with you? Jesus, so clearly frustrated, right? I mean, even later on in the chapter of Luke 9, John comes up to Jesus and says, By the way, we saw some people over there. They were driving out demons in your name, but we told them to stop it because they're not a part of us. Jesus, in his Jewish frustration, was probably going, Oy vey, how long am I going to put up with you guys? How long will it be until you get it? That that which I can do is that which I want to put in you so you can do it too. And he drove the demonic 
uh, the demon out of the demonic boy, and the little boy lived happily ever after. But see, Jesus gets our frustrations at time to time. Jesus had to grapple with it. Now, we have to grapple with frustration, right? Hopefully not every day, but probably more often than we would like to, and that's just the way humanity is. I wish it were not, but it is. I wish there was a light switch on the wall that we could flip, and it would all be changed and all be different, but it won't because there isn't a light switch on the wall. We have to learn how to deal with and grapple with our frustrations. One second. But while we have to deal with it and grapple with it, we don't need to be held in bondage to it. We don't need to live as a POF. You know what a POF is? Prisoner of frustration. How many people know what a POW is? Prisoner of war, right? POF, same thing. We don't have to live as a prisoner of war or a prisoner of wickedness or a prisoner to frustration. When, when Satan, sin, situations, whatever, comes along and wants to slam the door to the cell and keep us in bondage to our frustrations, we can kick the door open and we can walk out of there because greater is Jesus' Holy Spirit in us than anything else is in the world. And His Holy Spirit is in us and we can live according to the nature of the Spirit, not according to the nature of our flesh, which is frustrated in sin anyway. And we can live free from frustration. Now that might be a cell door you'll have to kick open more than once in your life. But the point is, you don't have to be a POF. You don't have to be a prisoner of frustration, whatever it is that's frustrating you. You can be set free from it, and you can overcome it by getting your eyes up higher than the horizon of whatever it is that frustrates you and getting your eyes on God, who loves you so very, very much. And with that knowledge, you can let God stretch your faith when life is trying to stretch out your frustrations. Now, I know it's very easy to say. It's very easy to say these things that I'm saying on a sunny day and on the Sundays, and I know it's very hard to do in life. I totally get that, but it's very essential to do in life, unless you like living as a prisoner to your frustrations. But if you want to be set free from your frustrations, if you want to more biblically and in a more holy way and a more healthy way deal with your frustrations, then you, you, you simply need to. It's essential that you do these things that I'm about to say that we need to do based on the life of somebody in the Bible that I want to look at back in the Old Testament. I appreciate, um, one of the reasons I appreciate the Bible, especially the Old Testament, because it gives us real-life stories of real-life people who really dealt with successes and failures and frustrations in their lives. And how they dealt with these things and worked with God in these things determined either their success or their frustrations or their failures in life. But I like it that, that the Bible is not just ethereal thing full of little uh, diatribes and, and doctrines and things that are disjointed and unconnected. I love it. I truly appreciate about the Bible. In the Old Testament especially, God gives us a lot of real-life examples of people who dealt with some of the same or similar frustrations that you and I deal with in our lives. And today what I want to do is I want to look at the guy named Job. Now you can turn in your Bibles to Job if you want to. We're going to go to Job chapter 1. And, and I want to look at Job that early in chapter 1 it says he was a righteous man, he was a wealthy man, and he was a family man. 
So what does that mean? He was a righteous man. He was righteous with God. He was in the right standing with God, which means what? He had faith in God. He had a relationship with God. He went to church on Sundays, right? He, he tithed. He gave. He prayed. He praised. He read his Bible, that type of thing, right? He was a righteous man. He had faith and trust in Jehovah God. He was also a wealthy man, which means he was blessed by God. God had already blessed his life. He was prospering because he was living the way he was supposed to live with God. Therefore, God blessed him in his life, right? Poured out his blessings upon him. And it says he's also a family man. What does that mean? It means that he loved and he was faithful to his wife. He loved, he was faithful to his children. He was good to his kids. He was good to his wife. He took care of them. He provided for them. He protected them as best he could, all that stuff. It says he even prayed for them every day just in case they had sinned. He wanted to make sure that his kids were covered in prayer. So, man, he was just a fabulous guy, right? A great, a great faithful guy. Then something terrible and tragic happens to him. That something that is more intense and with more adversity and more frustrations, frankly, than I hope any of us ever have to deal with in our lives. The, the stuff that Job went through, honest to God, I hope I never have to go through in my life because it was horrible and, and it was terrible. I, I've got a whole series on Job, the whole book of Job, called When Life Isn't Fair because Job's life was not fair, not by any stretch of the imagination, right? And so later in Job, chapter 1, around verse 13, is where I want to pick up his story about the things that happened to this really, really good guy who was doing everything the right way. <clears throat> It says, one day, this is picking up at verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians came and attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one left who has escaped to tell you this. Now, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties. They swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now, while this guy was still speaking, another messenger came, said your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a violent wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are all dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Job, the incredible sufferer, the, 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 the role model of faith and trust in God when life isn't fair and when life stretches out our frustrations beyond belief. Now, in Job, we learn four things. Well, we actually learned five things in Job. We're going to deal with the fifth thing next week. We're going to talk about four things that we learned from Job this morning about when life stretches out our frustrations, we need to let God stretch out our faith. The first thing that we learned from Job this morning is in verse 20, and that is this, that it's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to acknowledge your frustrations, and it is okay to tell God about them. It's okay to express your frustrations to God. In verse 20, it said, Job 
tore his robe and shaved his head. Now, in our culture today, that really doesn't mean anything to us at all. Um, today, for someone to shave their head is tantamount to watching Miley Cyrus or, or um, uh, Selena Gomez or Demi Lovato or anybody else who was a child Disney star who grew up to have a nutty all over social media and stuff and decided to shave their head and go bald for a while and stuff. That's what it means to us. It means nothing like that in Scripture. In Scripture, what it means when you were to tear your clothes and shave your head is that you were going into a great extended period of grief and frustration that probably will last as long as it takes for all your hair to grow back, which is going to be measured not in days or weeks, but maybe in several months before it all comes back in, depending upon how long your hair was when you cut it off. You know, I find it amazing to me today, by comparison, we look at times of grief and we expect it to be measured in a few days. You know, somebody has experiences a death in the family or a great loss of wealth or something like that. And we're compassionate with people for a couple of days, maybe a week or so, but then after a while, we're like, well, come on, you got to suck it up and carry on. You can't be grieving and mourning forever, right? In North America, we don't leave enough time for a person to grieve. We got this cookie-cutter thing that says you can only mourn and grieve for so many days, but then after that, that's just pathetic, okay? You need to get it together. You need to go on with life. I think there's something we can learn a lot from Job about allowing people maybe a little bit longer time to mourn and to grieve and to be frustrated when life isn't fair. Job also has other times where he's going to tell God in the book of Job how he's frustrated. He's going to express his frustrations again to God, and he's even going to tell his three friends, if you can call them that. I call them the Three Stooges, because with friends like this, you don't need enemies. Okay, I call them Mo, Larry, and Curly, and the fourth guy, I call him Shep. Okay, because they're totally worthless. They're totally Three Stooges. They're pie-in-the-sky, pious, spiritually superior, snob, arrogant people who look down in their nose at Job and probably are a little happy of the pain and suffering he went through because he was probably greater than they were and now they think they're greater than he was because they're not going through what he went through and so they think they've got all these answers for him and they're telling them what he's done wrong and all of this and they're pontificating here and pontificating over there and they're all absolutely worthless they're nothing but empty shirts and hot bags of gas in Job's life so I wouldn't even call them his three friends even though he tells them about his frustrations But in all of this, you have to notice, if you go to verse 22, if you're there in Job, read verse 22, you'll notice that it says in all of this, Job didn't blame God for any of it. Job did not sin by blaming God for any of that. And I think to myself, man, that's not like people today. I mean, people today, usually God is the first one who gets blamed when things go bad, right? They look to God and they say, God, why did you allow this to happen to us? Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you do this? Why is this happening in my life? Why did you do this to me? Didn't you know I went to church all the time? I tithe. You blessed me before. I'm a good family man. And now look, in a day I've lost everything, and tomorrow in chapter 2, Job's going to lose his health. But in all of this, Job did not blame God. He did not sin by blaming God. Whereas today, when we get frustrated, God is usually the first one that we blame. There's something to be said for that. So when life frustrates you, Number one, it's okay to acknowledge and express your frustrations to God. In fact, God can not only take it, God wants it. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, God says, I want you to cast all your cares on me because I care for you. 
I want you to cast all your cares, your anxieties, and your frustrations on me. I want to hear it because I care for you. I'm going to be your trash collector. I'm going to collect the trash. I'm going to turn it into treasure. I'm going to collect the garbage. You bring me your garbage. I'm going to collect the garbage. I'm going to turn it into gold. Why? Because God cares for us. Tomorrow is our trash day in our neighborhood. And I'm just having this, this epiphany thought about leaving my trash collector a really nice note saying, thank you that you take away my garbage. Thank you that you take away my trash. We should be looking to God and saying the same thing. Thank you that you take away my garbage. Thank you that you take away my trash. Here's my frustrations. Here are these fears and doubts that I'm worried about things not working out. Here they are, God. God says, lay it on me. Give it to me. You say, God, I can't do this unemotionally. God says, I can handle your emotions. Don't worry about it. I totally get you. I totally know you, my heavens. I created you just the way you are. Give me your fears and doubts that things won't work out. Cast all your cares, anxieties, and your frustrations on me, God says, because I care for you. And maybe if we do that, if we'll do this number one thing about acknowledging, be honest with God. You can't lie to God. God sees it anyway. Just tell God how you're feeling. Maybe if we do that enough times, those feelings of frustration might diminish a little bit over time. Why? Because we're getting our eyes up higher than whatever it is that frustrates us in life. We're getting our eyes back on God. And so when life frustrates us at home or at work or at school or in church or in the community or on social media or on television or, or, or in print media or in mainstream media, whatever, instead of responding and doing a post on social media about how frustrated you are, Maybe instead of taking it to social media, take it to God and let God handle it. Let God deal with it. And if you're going to post anything on social media, as a Christian, post something of faith, something of trust, something of assurance in God. You might not trust the government, but we can always trust God. Amen, church? Post something positive, not negative. Something of faith, not fear. Faith, not frustration. Bring your frustrations to God and bring God into the public media of life, so to speak. Now, number one, it's okay to acknowledge and express your fears and your frustrations to God. Number two, you also then have to acknowledge that everything you have good in your life comes from God. I want you to think about that because in verse 20, the second part of verse 20, Job counts his blessings. Y'all remember that old, uh, that old familiar hymn, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? Well, in verse 20, Job says, The Lord gave, and then at the end of verse 21, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave. In his mourning, in his grieving, in his frustration, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's finding out that God is not naughty, God is very nice. Because everything good that he has in his life comes from God. And doesn't that line up with James chapter 1, verse 17 that says every good and perfect gift that we have comes down from our heavenly Father of lights? If that is true, and it is, why then is it that some people think that good stuff and good things happening to them in life happen by good luck or happen by chance or happen by working hard, which is to be a workaholic, or happens by, by living right, whatever that is? If you just live right, good stuff will happen to you, right? That's kind of karma. Karma isn't real. Well, it's kind of real, but it's not really real. I wouldn't put your faith there. I'd put your faith in God. But if we just live right, if we just work hard, then good things will happen to us. That's not what Scripture says. How then is it that some people think that God or life owes them something? 
or owes them a living. Do you know anybody like that who, who, who just comes in with this victimized, perpetual victimized, defeatist, lazy attitude, and they're just so surprised when things don't go their way, when they don't get the right breaks in life or whatever, and they just have this incredible mentality that says, well, God owes me something. Life owes me something. Why? Because I exist. And I haven't killed anybody today, you know? I'm a good person. I try and work hard, live right. I hope good things happen to me. Why don't they happen to me? I just feel like God in life owes me something. Have you ever met anybody like that? I have. Boy, are they frustrating. They're frustrating because they're frustrated. And they're frustrated because they have this endless perpetual mentality that says they're the victim, they're defeated, therefore they have license to be lazy. And that is so sad, and it's so unfortunate, and it is so avoidable in life. You don't have to live in bondage to that kind of victimized, defeatist mentality because there's this incredible peace that comes over you, comes over any person, when they honestly realize that God's got their back and that every good thing in life comes from God. They even make a list, they check it twice. They find out God's not naughty, God has been very nice to them. I bet if you did that too, in the midst of your frustrations, if you counted your blessings, named them one by one, make a list, check it twice, you'll find out God hasn't been naughty. He's been very nice to you. He's been very good to you. I mean, my heavens, look how far he's gotten you in life already. Look, look at the, the loving people, the family and the friends that he's put around you to decorate your life with. Look at where you live now as opposed to maybe where you started out. Look at your home. Look at your cars. Look at your clothes. Look at your food. Look at, look at your, your big flat screen TVs or your little flat screen TVs, right? When we started out, we had a little flat screen TV, but God blessed us, so now we have a great big flat screen TV, okay? Our eyesight's not as good, but our TV's bigger. You know what I'm saying? But look at how God has blessed you in the midst of your frustrations. Don't just acknowledge your frustrations to God. Be like Job. Acknowledge the good things that you see that God has done already in your life, and then that, let that stretch your faith. If God's gotten you this far in life, he's going to get you the rest of the way too. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Even though you're frustrated right now, it's just not that he's not going to forsake you. He's standing right there with you. Because he's not a fair-weather God. He's an all-weather God. Number three. <clears throat> so number one, we want to acknowledge our frustrations to God. Totally cool to do that. Number two, we want to acknowledge to God the good things that God has done in our lives. Why? Because that gets our eyes up higher than the horizon of whatever frustrates us, reminds us that we have a good God in our life who loves us and who blesses us. Number three, we may need to accept the fact that you might not understand the why in your frustration. What do you mean? Well, you, you'll understand why am I frustrated. You'll understand that. But what I'm saying is you might not understand why whatever happened happened that caused you to be frustrated. Do you know that several times in Job, Job goes to God, and Job asks God why. And do you know God never answers him? God never tells Job why, and I honestly personally think that's a little bit rude of God. I, I really do. I think God's like, God, are you kidding me? I thought every time I came to you with a why, you would answer the why question. But I look at Job, and God doesn't do that with Job. In fact, God seems to totally avoid the question, and he just seems to keep going in Job's life, even though periodically Job comes back to God and says, why, Lord? And it's like, you know, the, the heavens are as brass. 
and the celestial crickets is all you can hear out there, right? And, and, and all you hear is maybe God saying, I got you. Lord, why did this happen? Da, 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 da. I'm not going to tell you why. Why? Why aren't you going to tell me why? Because it doesn't matter. Now, we have a better perspective of a bigger picture earlier in chapter 1 than what Job had. Admittedly, that's true. We know what's going on. Job didn't know. Many times, though, we're like Job, where we're right in the middle of it, and we don't have a better perspective of a bigger picture, and we don't see what's going on, maybe in the spirit realm or whatever. And we go to God, and we say, why, Lord? And God just goes, what? I'm sorry. Don't worry. I got you. How many people remember the song, Grace Got You? It's that contemporary song, uh, you know, it goes, Grace Got You. You know, I don't know any of the other words to the song, to be honest with you. I don't know the verse or the chorus or whatever. But, but that goes over and over in my head every now and then as I listen to contemporary Christian music from time to time in the car or at home on the clock radio when it goes off. I wake up to the fish and everything every morning and stuff. And, and, and there's this song, I don't even know who sings it. My girls probably know. But, but there's just this one snippet part of the song that just goes, Grace Got You. It's like, chill, don't worry about it. Grace Got You. Don't, don't get overly frustrated. Grace Got You. You know, what is that saying? It's tantamount to God saying, I got you. And that's all you need to know. Is that in this season of frustration, I'm still here. And I still have you. Even though you might not understand all the whys of what's going on that is frustrating you. And, and I've noticed in the Bible and in life, there are a lot of things that I don't understand why these things happen, and they frustrate me. Just like I'm sure God, uh, Job was frustrated with God when God wouldn't tell Job direct, directly what was going on and what was causing his frustration. There are things in the Bible and in, in life that I really wonder about. I wonder the why. I, I, I was that annoying little kid who grew up asking why all the time. I always just instinctively want to know why things work the way they work. I want to know when they don't work, why they don't work that way, so we can figure out how to fix it, right? I mean, why is motivational? Why is why you get up every morning? I think it's the most important question. So when my little kids were growing up and they were asking why, I would answer, and I would give them the answer, and I would give it to them three, four, five times, and if they still didn't get it, I'd just go like this. And then we move on to the next thing. But then it would cycle back around eventually to, why, Daddy? And I'd tell them the why, and it would cycle like that. Eventually they would get it as they grew up and as they matured more. Maybe Christians just need time to grow and mature more in, in the Lord before we get it. I don't know. But there are things in life that I don't get why they exist and why they happen. For instance, I don't get why alligators exist. I really don't. I don't get why sharks exist. I've watched a lot of the History Channel and Animal Planet and Discovery Channel. I like documentaries. I've watched alligators pull wildebeest and elks off the Serengeti in Africa, drag them into a river, flip them around, and eat them. I've watched sharks eat other fish and things like that. I have seen the movie Jaws more times than I can count, and I still don't get why sharks and alligators exist, because I don't wear their suits, I don't wear their shoes, I don't have their belts, I don't care about them at all. But for some reason, alligators seem to survive through everything, and I honestly don't know what good they're for. I don't know how they're contributing to the ecology or how they're contributing to anything except simply being these seemingly menacing creatures that are just mean-spirited, and there's absolutely no fun in them at all whatsoever. I honestly don't get why alligators and sharks exist. 
I also don't get in the Bible why God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. I come from a, a cop family. My grandfather was a cop. My daddy was a cop. I went to the, the uh, uh, academy in, in Michigan and stuff years ago. And so I think like a cop. I think of, you know, things of law, justice, things like that. And it almost seems to me that by putting the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, it almost seems a little bit like entrapment, like God was trying to entrap them into sinning or something. I don't get it. If I don't want my kids to know what evil is, I don't teach them. If I could keep them innocent and pure and only knowing good, I would do that. Unfortunately, we can't do that because we now live in an evil world and you don't want your kids being naive, so you have to teach them the difference between good and evil. But back then, it was just Adam and Eve and God. I don't get why God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, only maybe because he respected their freedom of choice which comes from them being made in the image and the likeness of God. So maybe God respects us a whole lot more than what some people think he does, right? God doesn't puppet anybody. He respects everybody. Maybe that's why he put the tree in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I also don't get at the other end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, after Jesus comes back and cleans everything up, if you're part of my Revelation small group this fall, you'll understand we got into this in chapter 20 of Revelation. I don't get that after he's got the beast, the false prophet, the Antichrist, and Satan all in prison forever, in chapter 20, it says that God lets Satan out for a short period of time. I don't get, once you have Al Capone and Alcatraz, why you ever let him out again. But that's just the difference between me and God. God knows why he does things. I don't. I just know what he tells me. I don't know everything in life. He doesn't tell me everything in life. He doesn't tell you everything in life either. either. That's what frustrates us from time to time. But he does tell us everything we need to know. And, and maybe it's like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. Maybe Paul said, well, now we see in part and we know in part, but then we will fully know even as we are fully known. I can't wait to get to heaven to figure out why alligators exist. I can't wait to get to heaven to, to see from God's perspective why you let Al Capone out of prison uh, even for a, a short time. But maybe for right now here on earth, maybe it can be said that there is no greater evidence of true faith and trust and obedience to God than to continue to follow a God that we trust by faith even if we don't understand all of the whys behind things that frustrate us in life. Number, number four. Fine. Well, before we get to number four, one more thing. It's like a song that Karen and I know that goes way back a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Maybe some of you uh, know it too. I don't know the name of the song, but uh, I, I, know the, I, I remember these words of the song. When you don't understand and you can't see his plan and you can't feel his hand in your life, trust his heart. Maybe when you don't understand why things happen the way they happen and you can't see the plan, the overall bigger picture of the plan, and you can't even feel God's hand in your life, continue to trust God's heart. Grace got you. God's got you. He's not going to leave you. He loves you so very, very much. Now, number four, <coughs> 
finally, when life stretches out our frustrations, we want to acknowledge our frustrations. It's okay to express them to God. We want to acknowledge the good that God's already done in our lives. It gets our eyes up higher then. And number three, we want to accept the fact we just might not un understand it all right now, and that's just the way it is. And number four, we don't want to blame God for the bad. We want to praise him for the good in our lives. Why is that? Because God doesn't do bad. God, by his very nature and description in the Bible, cannot do bad. He cannot do evil. He cannot hurt people. Anytime you see God doing something, especially in the Old Testament, that is, is um, uh, hurtful towards or judgmental towards certain people, it's coming out of his, his justice because God is sovereign and he is supreme. And he is love, and out of love comes both mercy and justice. So in the Bible, we see God either acting out of his mercy, or we see him acting out of his justice. And because he's acting out of his justice, we conclude, either way, mercy or justice, God never does bad. God never does wrong. God never does evil. And you can't stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with God, and you can't beat God, and you can't overcome God. So the best thing that you can do to God, the best thing anybody can do with God is surrender to him. Because he's sovereign and supreme. And, and God is, anybody who does surrender to God will find a God who's simply waiting for them to discover how kind, loving, and truly merciful he really is. And how his sense of justice is incredibly more healthy than what we have ever known here on earth. God doesn't do things to bad people. So you say, well, where did bad come from in my life then? It came from sin. And Adam's the one who let it in the front door of humanity. So if you want to blame anybody, blame Adam. Blame sin, but don't blame God, because Romans 8, 28 says God is the one who can take the bad and turn it into good for those who love him and live according to his purposes. And in verse uh, 21 and 22 of Job chapter 1, it says that Job said, May the name of the Lord be praised, and in all of this, Job did not sin by accusing God of wrongdoing, which, again, I come back to the fact that, man, that is so not like any of us, because God is usually the first person we blame. And in this case, he wasn't even the last person Job blamed. Job didn't blame God at all. So I think we need to be careful when we're frustrated with our feelings and emotions, because if we're not careful, they can lead us to having a nutty all over the God who loves us. There's a difference in my mind between having a nutty in front of God and expressing and acknowledging my frustrations to God. There's a, it's, it's like that pop can. It's, it's either a slow release, nothing explodes, or hot under fire or quick puncture, and it explodes all over God. And in the melee and in all the shrapnel, God's going to get blamed somewhere along the way. And why would you want to do that anyway to God, knowing that God already loves you, he's already on your side, and he's the answer to whatever it is that frustrates you? Why would you want to make God kind of somewhat of an enemy of yours in that moment by sinning against him? Say, whoa, wait a second, pastor. You saying if I have a nutty out of being frustrated all over God, that even though God understands it and God says it's okay to give him my trash and my garbage and my frustrations and everything, if I have a, a nutty all over God, if I go to that extent that I'm sinning against God, yes, I am. And I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because that's what Romans, 17, uh, Romans 14 says. Romans 14 says everything that is not of faith is sin, which means that if we're stuck in our frustrations and in our fears and doubts that things won't work out, that we are actually acting in opposition to our faith and trust in God. Remember, I started by saying they're never going to be equal in our lives. One's always going to be more than the other. 
and what God's always trying to get us to do is to live by faith, not by sight. Live by faith and trust in God, not our fears and our frustrations in life. That's why I say when bad things happen to you, and they have, and unfortunately they from time to time will again in the future, when life stretches out your frustrations at varying degrees, that's why we really need God in those moments to stretch out our faith and our trust in Him so that in the melee of whatever is frustrating us, we don't end up accidentally alienating, so to speak, and sinning against the God who loves us so very, very much. And He's the answer and the solution to anything and everything that frustrates us. Next week, we're going to look at three kinds of faith. And the one kind that keeps us rock-solid, steady, sturdy, and strong through anything in life, in spite of however we might feel in life or be frustrated in life. But here's what I want you to do this week. <clears throat> I believe Christians, as American citizens, should be informed of what's going on in our country. And there's a lot going on in our country right now. A lot of it is very frustrating. I don't care what your political persuasion is. There's a lot of frustration that's boiling over in this country. None of that leads to greater faith and trust in God. All of that leads down a not-so-primrose path of fears and doubts that things won't work out. Now, while the rest of the world is freaking out, we're supposed to be Christians who have faith and trust in our God on the sunny days and even during the storms of life. So here's what I'd like you to do this week for your own mental health and spiritual well-being. I would like you to turn off the TV for a while, turn off social news media for a while, and turn on God or more of God in your life for a while. Get your eyes up higher than the horizon of whatever frustrates you. Get your eyes back on God. Why? Because frustrations will lead you away from God and fears and doubts that things won't work out, and faith in God will lead you closer to God. Fears and frustrations in life will lead you to feel more worried and more upset and everything else. Faith and trust in God will lead you to worship and feel more peaceful that no matter whatever happens, God's got us, church. God's got his people. He's never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And even if Job was here today, he would tell you that why, while he went on everything that he went on for th that incredible season of grief and frustration in his life that lasted probably a year, maybe a little more, I don't know, but about, uh, theologians say about a year, even Job would tell you he never lost his faith and trust in God. Because if you look into Job, he's always running back to God. And you only do that if you have faith and trust in God. So this week, just for your own mental health and well-being and spiritual health and well-being, whatever time you would spend watching the news or television or social media or whatever, spend that time with God this week. And see when you get to the end of the week if you don't feel any better. You say, well, pastor, what if something happens out there? Don't worry, God's got us. God's got it. This, this place is not going to blow up within a day or two. I think we can take a couple of days this week to get our eyes back up higher, focused on the author and the finisher of our faith, and off of the things that frustrate us, whether they be in Washington, or the pandemic, or your personal problems with pain, things you deal with every day. When life stretches out your frustrations, whatever they may be, this week, let God stretch out your faith. Amen?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light to our path. Father, we thank you that we can always trust you. You're the one that we can always rely on. You're the God who, who is who you say you are and you do the things you say you do. And you are with us and you are leading us and you are guiding us and you are protecting us and you are providing us. It doesn't mean that there won't be storms that come, but it means you will be the strength and the shelter during the storms because you got us. Your grace has us. So, Father, in our times that we're frustrated, we simply acknowledge them to you. We turn to you and look to you. We thank you that you want to be our garbage collector and our trash collector. Thank you, Father. We also acknowledge all of the good things that we enjoy in our lives. They're all from you, Father. We thank you for that so much. And, Father, we get it that we're not going to understand everything, and while that's personally frustrating from time to time, we're just going to have to learn to live with that part of it. And, and Father, we also we want to thank you and not blame you but we want to thank you and we want to praise you for all the good that you do in our lives because you're the one who turns the bad into good for those who love you and live according to your purposes and we want that to be us. So Father, this week when life stretches out our frustrations, we look to you and we say, please stretch out our faith so that we can be rock solid, steady, sturdy, and stronger than whatever it is that frustrates us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. amen and amen. Now, here's what's coming up at New Promise Church. Hey, everybody. To meet our 2021 general operating budget, we need to average $8,210 per week in tithes and offerings. Thank you so much for your generous and faithful giving here at New Promise Church. Fusion students, next Sunday is our Sunday fun day at Brandywine Valley for snow tubing. We will meet in the youth room after church for lunch and games before tubing, and then we'll return to the church at 5.30. Anyone interested in information about or possibly helping out with the New Promise Food Pantry is invited to a brief informational meeting next Sunday, immediately following the second service in the hospitality room with Scott Bayline. We are looking for people to lead interspace small groups to help connect, grow, in fellowship, and community. Please contact the church office if you are interested in leading or attending a small group. HER is starting up Monday, February 1st at 7 p.m. in the chapel. HER is a ministry for girls of all ages from teens and up. We believe every girl of whatever age is beautifully and magnificently designed by God on purpose for a purpose. It will be a great time of encouragement, empowerment, and fellowship in God's Word. Mark your calendars for February 1st at 7 p.m. for this exciting new year of HER. New Promise Daycare is opening soon and we need your help to spread the word. You should have received a card when you came in this morning. If not, they are at the welcome desk. Please take as many as you want and help us spread the word about New Promise Daycare. Next week, Pastor Rory continues his series on how God stretches our faith. Thank you for being here today at New Promise Church. Have a great and blessed week. All righty, and there's three ways that you can give and help support the ministries here at New Promise Church. And I know you folks in person, uh, you're used to this every week and stuff, but I know we've got a growing audience online that's watching us, and maybe they don't know how to give uh, here at New Promise Church to help us reach our budget of $8,200, uh, averaging that a week. And that is simply three ways. You can go to our website at newpromisechurch.us or .com. Go to the Give tab. Follow the simple instructions there. You can give a one-time 
one-time gift, or you can set it up for a reoccurring gift. Uh, that part of our website is totally encrypted and safe and secure. You can also leave your offerings in the offering boxes as you exit the auditorium this morning, and you can also mail in your tithes or mail in your offerings to here at New Promise Church at... Uh, 8671 Euclid Chardon Road in Kirtland, Ohio, and I still haven't memorized the zip code yet, but you'll find it on our website, uh, all of our contact information. And if you do mail in your, your uh, tithes and offerings, just in the lower left-hand corner of the envelope, please put the initials FE for finance elder, and we'll make sure that that way it tells us that that's an offering, and we'll make sure that that gets to our finance elder and it gets deposited into our general account or wherever it is that you may designate it. And as always, sin simply and sincerely, thank you very much for so faithfully and generously supporting the ministries here at New Promise Church. Now, as we go this afternoon, I, I thank you for coming out this morning, and I want to leave you with this blessing. May the Lord Jesus Christ bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May he raise up his countenance on you and give you his peace this week. And may you keep in step with his Holy Spirit as you live out his word, this word that we heard this morning, every day of your life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for being in the house this morning with us. And thank you for joining us online. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday night. Thank you.